Well, we are going to look at Acts chapter 6. You're going to find today's message very practical um, because it's rooted in a very practical ministry. But the context of where we find ourselves uh, this week uh, nationally, uh, I just want to address uh, something on the front end here. Um, and you've probably read about it in the news. I mentioned it on Celebration Sunday. But let me just begin by by saying the word Baptist. And, and for many of you, that may not mean much to you. You may not have uh, intentionally moved to this community or heard the gospel from a Baptist person. You are just finding yourself in, in a Baptist church. For others, this may mean a whole lot. You may have been very intentional uh, about finding a Baptist community, uh, or maybe you've been raised Baptist. Uh, but I just want to just, this is important to the whole conversation today. Being Baptist does not mean what most folks think it means. It does not mean that we, you know, just fill ourselves with casseroles incessantly and get really angry at business meetings. Kind of the Baptist caricature of the South is not what it means to be Baptist. Being particularly Southern Baptist, it doesn't even mean that we're a denomination. Did you know that? We actually are an independent church. We're one of 47,530 independent churches in the world who cooperate together for the sake of mission. That's what we do. So when someone says you're Southern Baptist, um, yeah, you cooperate together. We cooperate with other churches to send nearly 4,000 missionaries all over the world through the International Mission Board. The family we heard about this morning, they're funded for every dollar that we contribute in the offering of this church. It goes on to support state mission, national mission, global mission. We, we're also able to support over 8,200 church plants in the last 10 years alone in North America, fund six seminaries, provide resources for thousands of disaster response volunteers, and cooperate literally for hundreds of other ministries and missions and initiatives locally and across the state. When someone says Southern Baptist Convention, they're really talking about a meeting that only happens once a year for two days. So when you refer to the convention, you're referring to a meeting that happens once a year. For, for just two days, and it happens to have been this past week in Anaheim, California. But when there's controversy, or particularly sin that has been opened up to the world, we're all Southern Baptists, and they definitely consider us one and the same. And it is true that those sins of the convention reflect upon the churches, because the churches are the convention. If you have been living under a rock for the past month then you would not know that many churches and denominational entities, as they call themselves, uh, were named in what was a damning report, and there is no other way to, to, to name it than a sexual abuse task force report that looked at sexual abuse cover-ups for between the year 2000 and 2021, and it was released just last month publicly. A few days after the, the report was released, they released a list of names of the accused and many times indicted pastors, denominational leaders, ministry leaders throughout the convention, those who committed these atrocious acts, but as well as those who failed to report and advocate for survivors. It's a big problem, and we're going to continue to feel the ripple effects, and I think rightly so for some time. I mentioned this this morning because you probably aren't living under a rock and you probably are reading about it, at least in your newsfeed. Because there's no place for sexual abuse. There's no place for abuse of power in Christ's church. There's a lot more that, that, that 
I will be able to say as we think locally about how to be proactive at Perkinsville Church, we are already, com- we are already committed to the safety and security, particularly of kids and youth, but all the way up and having two leaders present in any space and background checks. And there's a lot of local things, particularly with our association and our state level, that are going to allow us to be even more proactive rather than reactive in these situations. And there's more to share, but I do want you to understand that this is very much on the front of my mind or leaders' minds and Southern Baptist minds, rightly so, all over the world. Check out the news, check out the report, and join with us as we begin to um, understand what it means to truly repent and proactively pursue the future. I needed to mention that because it's good and right, because we need to, and I also want to look at the idea of problems, and I'm not going to, listen, I'm going to talk about problems today because the text we read today is out of a problem. And I want you to hear me say this. In no way am I attempting to suggest that the problem of sexual abuse in churches is at the same level as some of the problems I'm going to address in the text today. So hear me say that. I'm not equating the two. But I am saying that before there was abuse, before there was an abuse of power, in the, at some point early in that process, there was a problem that was left unaddressed. There were problems emerging in a man's character or perhaps in a local church's organization. Problems that if caught then and dealt with then, who knows what the outcome might have been, but it might have been different. The text before us today is about a problem that at the time, although to no Hellenist seemed minor, was minor relative to the problem I'm talking about in an entity report about sexual abuse. But it is a problem in its inception and early stages. Even the early church faced problems. Even the early church faced problems that needed to be addressed. And we end up in a text that is, that is birthed from a problem in a text that teaches much about what it means to be a deacon. And let me just say this on the out front today. Although we may not, praise God, be dealing with the problems at the level and the breadth that we read about in that report, there are people in this room today, all of us need to hear this text. Not just those who are deacons, considering to be deacons, but those of us who see problems in a church. This text is for us. Because it's going to show us how the word may continue to move forward. The kingdom may be multiplied, not by the problems we find, but rather by the solutions we seek to serve towards together. And so we're going to read a lot. And we're going to talk about deacons too, which is always fun. Because church organizations, one of my favorite things as a nerd. But let's pray. Father, we begin right now knowing that um, all your word in every, on every page, in every paragraph, in every sentence is for all of life, all of our lives. And so this is uh, no exception. Although we read a story about the very beginnings of the diaconate, the deacon ministry in your church, we see the good and right attitude and posture that we're all called to bring as servants, not only to Christ our Lord, but through Christ, servants to one another. So teach us much, strengthen us, that the Word may move forward. That we may see the Word of God, Your Word, increasing and multiplying in Boone and beyond. That's our heart. That those who do not know You would come to know You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we get to start with church government. Ecclesiology. One of the greatest and favorite topics in all of seminary and continues to be for me. So if you are bored right now, just hang on a minute. 
drink some coffee. It's really important stuff. But let me explain this text as we read it today. We are dealing with a text that you're not going to see the word deacon directly, but has everything to do with deacons. And so the Bible tells us that the early church, keep in mind entering chapter 6, verse 1, uh, the, the, we already know from chapters 2 and 4 that the entire church was serving the needs of one another. We know twice now that no one had an unmet need in the early church. So keep that in mind. We're dealing with a very healthy church, not only internally meeting one another's needs, but we're dealing with a church that is multiplying and making disciples. So keep that in mind. But, however, this happens. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Just pause for a minute. We're not talking about the daily distribution of anything supplemental. We're talking about the daily distribution of food. Pretty important. Pretty significant problem. And so the 12, these are the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so let me just give you a biblical theology of the office of deacon. We have three examples that are most likely related to the office of deacon. So what we're talking about when we say office, we're not talking about uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, like you see in Ephesians 4. We're talking about the office of deacon, someone set aside and appointed to the work of deaconing. There are two offices in the New Testament. The other office is elder, the office appointed for, and, and Paul writes to Timothy extensively. But of deacon, we know of three clear examples of the office of deacon. And it seems that this one is the first kind of proto-deacon that we see in Scripture. Acts 6 is where we see the birth. We won't see elders emerge until Acts 14. So deacons predated elders. And so we see elder, we see deacons here in Acts 6. We see uh, Romans 16. Paul writes of Phoebe, who it seems to imply by the language, was referenced as a deaconess of the church, 16. And the third place we see deacons in Scripture is 1 Timothy 3, where Paul lays out to young Timothy, if you're going to have a church, you need to have elders and deacons, deacons and elders, plural, and these are the qualifications for these men. Those are the only three places in all of Scripture that we see the office of deacon. We see deaconing all over the Bible. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we see the office of deacon in those three places. So how do we take the idea of three scriptures and move from that? Well, the same way that we take those offices of scriptures, first of all, all our experience, listen, again, if many of us are Baptists, we have all kinds of experiences with deacons. Um, pastors kind of in a bad way have all kinds of, particularly in the deep South, the deacons kind of, that's their job to run off the pastor in the deep South. That's that's the role of a deacon in the deep South. That's what I learned in seminary. And I learned for some reason that Mississippi deacons are the ones that really run off pastors. That's what the professor said. So, uh, 
But that's not what it uh, is. So we got to take out all our experience, maybe a wonderful experience with being a deacon or being served by a deacon. Praise God for that. But let's just pause on the experiences, pause on what we think we understand about church governance and polity. And this is kind of what we do. We take the scripture. So we have three of them to work off of. And we start a foundation of what does scripture say? Most of us move from scripture to practical application. And so when we end up, that's how we get up in, that's how we get in disagreements with one another. Because we take one scripture and we apply it immediately. And sometimes it seems like scripture is conflicting, but we know it doesn't conflict. And so here's the, here's the strategy of anything, whether it's deaconing or anything else. What did the earliest church do with regard to deaconing? So we have scripture and then we look back at the earliest church, second century. How did they deacon? What did deacons do? A lot of times the debate, and we're not getting into this today, I'll just, I'll just start that and let y'all discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, women in the, in, in the diaconate, we look at history for that because we don't have very clear scriptures, not absolute one way or the other. So we look at history and then we build a theology based on what we see about that from God revealing himself all the way in Genesis, all those things. And then finally we get to the place where we practically apply it. So this isn't just chapter verse says, go do it. We've got to go through a process where we look at what did the earliest church do? What does this mean across all of Scripture and life? And then ultimately we can apply it. So that's just kind of what we have done, the church has done with this type of topic. The nuts and bolts of church organization, I've already mentioned this a little bit, but we're beginning to see the way that God desires His church to operate. The way that God desires to see His church operate. So no matter what we've experienced, the first question is not what have we seen work, that's pragmatism, not what have we seen work or not what was I used to, but how does God desire this church to take the mission to the nations? And how does He organize internally and see that it's done? Deacons and elders are the two offices. They're not the only ones serving, but they are the offices. So we naturally, by this text, are, are led to ask a question. Well, who or what is the type of person who may serve as a deacon? What are the qualifications? And this text actually leads in to a more expansive list that Paul will write to 1 Timothy. But in this text alone, what does it say? The twelve summoned the full and numbers disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of what? Good repute, reputation, and then it gets real, real, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Here was their job, practically speaking, to walk over here to the bulk food, to pick out the plates of food, and to carry them over here. David, you're going to pretend you're a Hellenist widow, and to distribute them. Now, in our mind of thinking, basically the qualifications for someone to carry food from one location to another is, are they breathing and can they walk? But yet the Bible says that the men who do this need to have excellent reputations and to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, think about that. I don't care if somebody thinks about deaconing or serving in this way. It doesn't matter if they're a good businessman. It doesn't mean if they're friendly. It doesn't matter if they... doesn't matter... Any of their earthly accomplishments. Why does the Lord care so significantly about the spiritual qualifications of a person who's carrying a plate of food from point A to point B? Well, I don't know the exact answer, but I can tell you we're going to learn a little bit more, and we'll talk about this in 1 Timothy 3. Not only those things, 
Just now imagine, we're talking about carrying a plate of food, and I'm making that seem small intentionally for a minute. Paul is going to say to 1 Timothy that those deacons must also be, in addition to reading all these qualifications of elders in the first seven verses, you need to have that in mind when you look for these types of people. Those uh, Chapter t- uh, 3 of 1 Timothy says they must be dignified, not double-tongued. You know what that means? When you say something to one person, you say something different to the other. Not addicted to much wine. How much is much? Well, here's the point of that. A person who is addicted to much wine lacks self-control and discipline. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Sound in faith in life. Blameless, godly wife. Husband of one wife. A one-woman man in this text. And manage the children and their household well. I often think of, or I've heard it said in terms of sound and faith in life, you see a man's spiritual maturity when someone disagrees with him. That's when you see the spiritual maturity of a person. These kinds of people with all these, with all these qualifications and they're carrying food from one place to another. Well, let me remind you of what is happening here. The Hellenists aren't eating. The Hebrew widows are eating. We also know, chapter 2 and chapter 4, that no one went without an unmet need. This church is serving like crazy in Acts. There is some intentionality in those Hellenist widows missing their meals. No one else wants to do it. And so they appoint men who they know will do so with a glad and joyous heart. Because the first day, I bet you, if we raised our hands, who's going to go feed the Hellenist widows? Lots of us, oh, it's so good, it's so good, and we're going to go take it. But then over time, we're going to start talking. They're not appreciative of those Hellenists. She complained about the food two days in a row. I'm done with this. That's the types of stuff that people are going to start doing. We're going to, we're going to serve for a few days until it gets old. And then we're going to find something newer and brighter, and that's just going to get boring. Serving these people day in, day out, it is only a man who is satisfied in Christ and after Christ who is going to sustain in such a mission. It's not flashy ministry. It's honestly, let me just be honest, this is like if we said, listen, we can't get y'all to serve the nursery, the deacons are. Because no one else will do it. That's the biblical deacon. That's really powerful to me. And that's why these qualifications are a person who is wholesome and after Jesus. Because they're going to serve day in, day out. People who appreciate them sometimes and people who don't. But they're going to be satisfied in Jesus and content in serving in whatever way so that the Word of God may multiply. And that's why it matters, the type of man who carries a plate from point A to point B. It's Father's Day, and I get this, and I want to say something to dads. If you're ever wondering what the Bible calls men to be, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's not just for elders, it's not just for deacons, it's the calling of men. 
And secondly, the second thing I'd say about this is a lot of us look at that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard guys in this church say, well, I'm not qualified because I don't do all these things perfectly. Jesus is the only one who does all those things perfectly from 1 Timothy 3, 1, all the way through this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 12. We can't think of it like a bounded set. And what a bounded set is if you have livestock and you put them in a pasture and you put a fence around it, right? And nothing comes in or nothing goes out. That's a bounded set. And that means to get a, to be a deacon or to be an elder, you got to be in that pasture. And that means you're doing all those things awesomely all the time. Whereas a centered set is like this. You don't have a fence up. You have a field. And down the middle of that field, you, f- you fertilize and you focus on this strip of lush grass so that the animals will be centered towards it. Those who are closest to what we see in the pages of Scripture, the men who inspire to that office, we look for those who are closest to the center. And we pursue them and set them apart for this work. And so there's no man in this room. I can't say how many times, well, I, I'm just not qualified. Yeah, really, you, I get that. Jesus is the only one. You won't be 100%. And so men, you're on a centered set working towards these things. What is to be a biblical father, husband, man? It's this. It's pursuing these things. So that's the qualifications of deacons. What do they do other than carry a plate to the Hellenist widows? Serve tables. Well, you know where we look in Scripture to understand what deacons do? We look here. It's the only place. To to see the office of deacon, this is the only place. The responsibilities of deacon. But here's what we need to do first. If you'll notice here, how many of y'all see the word deacon like in English in your Bibles in Acts 6? If you raise your hand right now, you're lying. There is not a translation that that translates the word deacon in chapter 6, and yet the word deacon appears twice in this chapter. So let me read it for you because it's, it's I, I, I always like, I don't know, when I use the Greek language, I always feel like heidi tidy and, you know, in the Greek. Uh, but it's really important though in the Greek here because we're looking at a word like diakonos, which is where we get the English word deacon, but it means to serve. So let me, let me read for you where we see that word or the root of diakonos appear in this text. I'm going to read it for you. Acts 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll be done by verse 2. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily deaconing. That's the word. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon. That's where the word is in this text. Two, twice. They were complaining because there was an absence of deaconing, and so they appointed those who would deacon. They were finding those people who would serve. Literally, the word that would come to mind, diaconus being the word and the root word, uh, in in the Greek language is beautiful because a word would bring up symbolism from from the world around you. And so in this situation, when they heard that, they heard that word, they would tie it to imagery, and the root word would, t- would bring up the imagery in their mind of a person kicking up dust because they're on the move. They can't wait to serve so much so that upon being called to serve, they kick up dust and sprinting to do the, do the work. That's the type of imagery here. Like, we're not getting that, the Hellenists said. We're, we, 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 we're hungry. This isn't just a minor complaint or a preference. They literally are starving. And what they're asking for is for the early church to kick up dust, to bring them food, just like the Hebrew widows are receiving. And what they get are seven men. That's why they're full of the Spirit, good reputation and wisdom, because they can't wait to kick up dust to serve these women who are not being served. 
Man, high-speed deaconing 101 right here in Acts chapter 6. And so when we see the word, this same word for deacon happens, it occurs 29 times in the New Testament. Only twice do you see it translated as deacon, and both those times are in 1 Timothy 3. When we look at the root word of deacon, then we see what it means not only to be a follower of Christ faithfully, but what the responsibilities of the deacon are in the church model. Let me give you some examples where else we see this word. Four, Four examples. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Jesus says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. John 12, 26. If anyone deacons after me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon be also. If anyone deacons after me, the Father will honor him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, who has made us Christ, who has made us sufficient to be deacons of a new covenant, not the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Colossians 1, 23, last one. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a deacon. Here and 23 other times in the New Testament, we see similar language of the word deacon. And this is important for all of us because it helps us understand what the position means. Particular men who do any number of tasks in this passage that generally are not being met. And so the same thing applies to the modern deacon. What is not happening that needs to happen in order for the word and prayer to be preserved? Here at Perkinsville, just with our own deacons, it's been an honor to think about those things that we desperately need to look towards in order for effective ministry to be continued. And some of those very practical needs that we've identified are member care for those who are not in community groups, Ushering and these, what these men do every, every Sunday, if they aren't doing it, we're, it's kind of interesting when, when these brothers aren't able to do it because we're looking around like panicked. Benevolence, benevolence ministry here, we do this, deacons do this, security and facilities. It's not an inclusive list, but it's a powerful list because these are the very practical needs of the body. These are the things that create hurdles and they have to be removed in order for the word to move forth unencumbered. We desperately need these types of ministries because as a church, we're not necessarily always looking at these things. We're not, many of you do this thing maybe, but I don't like walk in and look at the physical security of the building. I just walk in and up, up here I go and I start preaching. But someone needs to be considering those things. That's a very practical way. And there are other areas we don't know about. Let me just share some quotes with you. A guy wrote a book called Deacons. It's phenomenal. It's not a long book. But I just want to share three quotes with you from what it means to be a New Testament deacon. Matt Smethurst wrote this book. Deacons are like a congregation's special ops force carrying out unseen assignments with fortitude and joy. Public ministry is impossible without private service. Had the seven not freed the apostles to focus on teaching and prayer, the gospel would not have spread. No doubt, locations and circumstances vary greatly, but the common denominator, the heartbeat of diaconal work remains the same. Self-giving service for the good of Christ's church and the glory of his name. We desire for, for those to... For, for you, maybe, to, to join those already called and set aside for this task, actively serving deacons like Cody Blevins and Steve Castle and Leslie Marsh and Mike Ramey and Adam Ryan and Jamie Williams. 
So much so that there is this salmon-colored sheet here at every exit to this room. And so between now and July 3rd, here's what I'm asking you, church, to prayerfully consider. The, the, the folks around you who are already deaconing, you know who they are. Not the ones uh, uh, who, are, who are sitting by, but rather those who are actively deaconing. Those already carrying plates from the distribution to the Hellenists. And I want you to prayerfully put your name, their name, and I want you to explain why you believe that this person ought to be set apart for the diaconate. A few weeks to do this. Prayerful examination would come next. But you know these folks. You know the ones you've been served by that no one else knows. You know the ones who have called. The ones who have brought food. The ones who have encouraged. The ones who have helped you navigate how to get around places. Those who are serving you and your family already. They're already deaconing. We're asking them to be recognized and set aside for the work of deaconing. And so I want to put this to you as a real application today as we kind of conclude this church polity part and we get to final application. I'm going to remind you every week, but commend this to prayer. We desperately need uh, more deacons to fulfill some of these responsibilities that we've mentioned. And we come to you for that work because you know those who are already serving. One time I was at a wedding. I always meet lots of interesting characters at weddings. A deacon in another church, not this one, I'm not even going to tell you where it is, came up to me, told me how mad he was at the pastor of this other church. And as he lit his pipe, looked at me, kind of a hunched posture. He said, I think it's the deacon's job to tell the pastor what to do, don't you? And I said, well, I, I didn't respond. I just said, brother, all I can tell you is that God designed his church very specifically. And it's not hard to see the beauty of Christ's church when it's operating as Christ desires it. And so I pointed him to scripture. Servants who are willing to serve because they already are so that the prayer and ministry of the word may see the kingdom advanced. Well, if you're like, I don't know about all this deacon stuff. I just want to know what this has to say to my life. Well, let me talk about that. Because this text, as I mentioned at the beginning, is about a big problem. Can't tell you how many times in the last 10 years I've heard somebody say to me, we've got a problem. And part of me, really, I've never said this, then give me a solution. There's a problem in this church in Acts, and it's a big one. More and more Hellenists are responding to the gospel and entering the community. And there's a lot here. It's not just they're forgetting to feed them. There are obviously some still some preconceived notions about those Hellenists going on. You don't like just bypass a group of widows and say, oops, didn't know you were there. But for the church to reach other Hellenists, they can't hold that kind of attitude about them. So there's a major problem. And there are two potential outcomes for this church. To say, well, we've only got 12 Hellenists. You know, we, as long as we keep the other 100 happy, the Hebrews will be fine. Kind of the sweep it under the rug mentality. Or we can find a solution bringing in godly men full of the spirit and wisdom 
to address the problem and serve towards a solution. And because of that, the church advances. Let me say this on the outset about division and multiplication. Multiplication that we see in the book of Acts, I'm convinced, every time we see it in Scripture, is the language of heaven. Conversely, division in the church is the language of hell every single time. So the two options for the early church are to divide or multiply. It's based how we view and address this problem. Now, you would say, well, I'm glad they made deacons so they could fix all the problems. That's not the point of the text. Remember, Ephesians 4, Paul writes this, not like the offices of, but he says every single one of us essentially have been given. Those and these giftings have been given for a reason. God gave lowercase apostles, not the office, gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. This is not just a calling for those in an office of deacon or office of an elder. Pursuing and serving towards a solution is the responsibility of every Christ-loving, Christ-following Christian in this room and everyone who listens and everybody who covenants with this church or any church in the world. The calling on our lives is here. To solve the community's problem must extend beyond those who are called primarily to preach. That's like this text couldn't be clear, more clear on that. I'm a dumb kind of person when things come. Sometimes I'm naive, I'm ignorant. Like if Britt brings me five problems, I'm probably gonna look at him like, ugh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm just not, I, I'm not a, a quick processor like that. Like, if there's a fire, this is the simplicity of the fire service. Wet stuff on the red stuff. That's the way my life works. If it's not that simple, I don't know what to do next. All right? So, like, if you come to me, I'm like, run! And that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> but it makes it clear to protect the movement of the Word and prayer This is beyond the responsibility of just those who teach. This, in fact, is a shared commitment to serve for a solution. Did you hear that? It's not a cop-out. It's not me like, oh, it's a cop-out. This is exactly what the apostles do. There's a problem. Now step in and solve it. The problem was met with like willingness to serve, and the result was kingdom multiplication. Again, because that's the language of heaven. But what we often do is the, is the opposite. And I want you to see how the enemy gets in on problems. Satan does this every single time. Satan, he works. I mean, there's only so many strategies the evil one has. And so I gave this example earlier, and I'll still pick on Leslie Marsh because he's not here right now, and I can do it even better. So, so just imagine simple things like in the church. We all can list problems. We can go around here. I give you a, a, a notepad, and you can find problem after problem after problem after problem. Um, so I used the example of Leslie and I said, Leslie, I'm going to just pretend because Leslie does our facility stuff, a lot of it. And I can sit here and I can say, you know what? These pews are uncomfortable. There's a problem. All right. There's probably not a solution for that. So that reveals my problem. It's just going to, I'm just going to have to submit my problem and sacrifice a hurt tush. All right. But here's what the enemy does with problems in the church. Everyone listen to me closely. You sit there and you say, this pew is uncomfortable. And then you say, they, it starts with they, they don't even care about people with lower back pain. And then you find out who they is. Leslie is the one who chose the padding on these pews. Leslie doesn't care about my pain. And then the enemy's like, yeah, yeah. Keep going with that. He's just fanning it. Yeah, buddy. 
Loving it, loving it, love it. Divide, divide, divide. Get bitter, get bitter, get bitter. And then you finally come out and say it. Leslie doesn't like me. And I don't like Leslie. Y'all, it happens every day. It may not be Cushions and Leslie Marsh. It may be, I don't know. Maybe that was just the Lord convicting you. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, I'd love some, some patting on the back. Just, But yeah, it happens every day. The enemy takes a problem. Seeds, bitterness. Then we start making stupid claims. Like, Leslie hates me. And if we step back, we realize before long, we are embroiled in sin and hatred. Those Hellenists had a lot of reasons. <laughs> I mean, they weren't eating. Most problems facing the local church today are because we don't enter that problem seeking to serve for a solution. I was talking with Steve about this. This was same thing was happening as you mentioned this to me. Share the problems freely but bring the solution with it. And not somebody else's solution. And not, David, you need to put padding in the back of the pews. That's, what, that's how we're going to fix this. David Williams is going to go do it because it's my idea. Woo! Nope, nope. How am I going to be a part of this? First of all, I'm going to recognize Leslie doesn't hate me. And I'm going to repent of hating Leslie. And then I'm going to say, if this is really that big of a deal, man, I'm passionate. I want to come alongside and I want to spend my nights and weekends here until every pew in here has padded backs. And I'm going to invite some brothers and sisters along with me and we're going to do that together. It's this spirit that's at work in the early church and one that I sense we desperately need now, all of us. It's amazing. When something like COVID hits a people like us, we don't know where to go or who to blame. So we find people and things to blame. We can't articulate why we feel lonely or different than we did before. And so we try to find somebody who made us feel lonely or change something that made us feel more distant. And we say it's them, it's that. Rather than recognizing the world has been radically rocked in the last couple years. And the church is emerging, I believe, stronger than it ever has been. This and many others. But it's the spirit of the early church, the spirit of deaconing, that is a call of every man and woman who is in Christ. Not just for the deacons, but deaconing, like Jesus speaks about, like Paul speaks about. Deaconing, serving for a solution, for, for the gospel to be proclaimed and the word to be multiplied. It's this spirit at work. We need each other for this. The enemy does not want it. He wants division. He does not want servants who are laying down their lives for one another. He wants bitterness. He wants you to believe things about other people that aren't true. He wants this. He does not want the kingdom. Recognize this church. This is a spiritual war that we rest in today. And it's not just me or you or them or us. This is the enemy seeking to shake and divide and break and destroy in any way that he can. And he's going to use the reasonable, logical means to do it. He's not going to show up and say, drink this fifth of Jack Daniels and snort a line of Coke. He's going to say, no, you've got an issue. Build it. Build it. It's them. It's them. It's them. It's him. They did this to you. They don't like you. That's the way Satan works. And he seeks to destroy you, this fellowship, and this gospel mission to boon and beyond. He wants it gone. Don't forget that. Are you a pawn of the enemy? Repent. 
And let's watch heaven come on earth as the kingdom is multiplied. Let's serve for a solution, church. Let's wash each other's feet, as Jesus would say. Not be afraid of the problems, but more committed to the solutions. Father, we recognize that the biggest problem in all of creation right now is, is nothing in this space. It is lostness. It is the only problem, as our IMB president has said, lostness is the only problem that lasts eternally. And the more we take our eyes off of the problem of lostness, the more consumed we become with ourselves. And so, Lord, raise up servants who are willing to, 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 to block the way and bust holes in walls and protect the ministry of the ward with their very lives. May we all be a people who deacon together, who serve together, who recognize that the enemy wants unity destroyed. Division is the language of hell. And I am so thankful, Lord, that 2,000 years ago as your church emerged, a problem, a controversy amongst the Hellenist widows could have obliterated Christ's church, but the promise of Christ at the gates of hell, the gates of hell, will not defeat the church, was proven true in the faithful giving and sacrificial service of seven set aside to humbly and happily serve and by serving lead the way. Father, I repent, we repent of the many times that our perspective, my perspective of our mission together has been skewed and shaped by self. Forgive us. And we depend upon your faithfulness and your justness to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now may we go forward and see your word multiplied. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.